1: That's a Wednesday edition of PFTPM. Hope my microphone wasn't on 10 seconds ago. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio here for the next hour as we are one day away from the draft. One draft closer to death. We could have that t-shirt made up as well, Miles. Good afternoon. How are you?
0: Uh, good afternoon, Mike. Yeah, one more dawn, one more day, one day more, man. We are uh, ready you can't, to you get can't, this you NFL bring, draft started.
1: No, you can't. You can't bring a Lay-Miz reference. <laughs> you can't do it. You can't do it. It's already Although done. There, it's already done. <laughs> there will be there will be empty chairs and empty tables in uh, possibly San Francisco if they trade and or kill Jimmy Garoppolo between now and Sunday. <gasps> All right, let's get to it. We're going to have Tutu Atwell, Louisville receiver, later in the program. A former Louisville quarterback making headlines today via a trade that sent Teddy Bridgewater the last pick in round one 2014 the Johnny Manziel draft now from Carolina to Denver goes Teddy Bridgewater sixth round pick for the Panthers in 2021 they get back sort of the sixth round pick they gave to the New York Jets as part of the Sam Darnold deal and the Panthers they're paying seven million dollars of Teddy Bridgewater's salary because he was due to make 17 million, 10 million of it guaranteed. The Panthers save three million, get a sixth round pick, unload the salary of 17 million, and the Broncos get a quarterback now to compete with Drew Locke. And look, Miles, I, I think the bottom line is even though the Panthers have added Sam Darnold and the Broncos have now added Teddy Bridgewater, both teams I think are still in play for quarterbacks with eight and nine, respectively. There just isn't the urgency that there would have been, and maybe they don't have to worry about getting leapfrogged the way they would have had to have worried about it before they made these trades.
0: Sure. Look, I think if you're talking about guys like Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, and Drew Locke, you're not talking about the upper echelon of QBs in this league, right? So I don't know. I mean, I tweeted it out today, like that gif of Larry David at the end of the Palestinian chicken episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where he's looking to his left and to his right, and he's saying, oh, no, like what am I going to choose here? That to me is like the quarterback competition between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. It doesn't excite me. You know, if I'm a Broncos fan, I guess we got better today, maybe. I I think, you know, when you look at what uh, George Payton said in that release that they had to announce the trade for Teddy Bridgewater, he said he brings competition and experience. Does that really sound like something you really want out of a QB, just competition and experience? Sounds like a backup. And really when you're only paying him $3 million, because as you just said, the Panthers are kind of paying $7 million for him to go away, you're paying him as if he's a backup anyway. So like you said, Mike, this is not, it's not something that should take The Broncos out of uh, the competition from selecting a quarterback in the first round, if somebody starts to slip and fall, maybe they trade up a couple spots to try to leapfrog the Panthers if the Panthers also seem like they like that QB as well. But I just, I don't feel like this is something that really makes the Broncos super, super competitive. And we're talking about trading quarterbacks for sixth round picks here. You know, it just it is what it is. And I think that the Broncos are gonna be fine with Teddy Bridgewater if they play him, but I don't know that they're gonna be that much better than if they just stuck with Drew Locke.
1: Final bill for the Broncos will actually be four point five million because Teddy's salary is eleven point five. He cut from seventeen to eleven point five. Panthers pay seven. 4 uh, four point five is the difference. That that's a bargain. Okay. That's peanuts yeah. as quarterbacks go. And he could be the backup, he could be the starter. He could be the guy who is a placeholder for whoever they would draft, or he competes with Drew Locke. It's a bunch of different things potentially, but he's going to make $11.5 million, which is better than if he had dug in his heels in Carolina, refused to cut his pay, and eventually gotten cut because his maximum compensation that way would have been $10 million because the Panthers would have owed him ten, and they would have gotten an offset for whatever he made elsewhere, and no one was going to pay him more than 10, as evidenced by the fact that Carolina pays seven and Denver pays 4.5. So it works out well. It's a win-win for the two teams. And it's a win for Teddy Bridgewater, even though it remains to be seen whether he will actually play. And George Payton was the assistant GM in Minnesota when Bridgewater was drafted. They loved him in Minnesota. His career there went off the rails because of that fluke ACL tear from late August of 2016. And then he was a backup in New Orleans. And before that, he was actually with the Jets. He signed with the Jets. He was their placeholder until they got Sam Darnold and was with the Jets into the preseason. There are photos, and it's weird to see it, of Teddy Bridgewater in a Jets uniform next to Sam Darnold in a Jets uniform. And yes, Teddy Bridgewater has been traded twice in his career, and both times were because of Sam Darnold, because Darnold is present and now Teddy moves on. So that's uh, that was expected though. From the moment that the the Panthers traded for Sam Darnold, we expected that Teddy Bridgewater was going to be gone. The question was when. And and here's an interesting point, Miles, from timing standpoint. And this is why I think the Broncos did it as a measure of insurance against the possibility of not getting a guy at number nine. Because if you have Teddy, maybe there is a greater chance that that guy falls to you if you wait to pick up Teddy later. Number one, you may have to give up more. Maybe the Panthers want more if you didn't take a quarterback in round one. I thought it would come between round one and two, a trade of Teddy Bridgewater. But uh, the timing to me is interesting because the Broncos pulled the trigger a day before round one, not the day after round one.
0: Yeah, that that does make it interesting. And we've been talking about that, I feel like, for the last few weeks. I mean, ever since Teddy Bridgewater, uh, excuse me, the Panthers acquired uh, Sam Darnold, it seemed like Teddy Bridgewater was going to be traded. And the Broncos were always a team that came up in the conversation because of the connection with George Payton in Minnesota. And also, I mean, you've got Pat Shermer, who was also there um, in Minnesota as an offensive coordinator. And now he reunites there with Teddy Bridgewater too. So there's, there's a lot of different connections and that should make things fairly easy for Teddy Bridgewater to come in and learn the offense and get acclimated and all that. And, you know, what George Payton has talked about is making sure they have competition at quarterback for Drew Locke. So, if nothing else, they do have that competition. Now, how good of a competition is it? I don't really know. But I think that the point is they have at least ensured themselves that, yes, they do have somebody – at quarterback so they don't have to force picking a QB or maybe try to trade up a little bit more than they would otherwise if they see somebody that they like that's falling. I think it's good insurance. It's probably good business for them to pick up somebody like Teddy Bridgewater, but it sure should not take them out of the conversation for picking up somebody who they truly believe can be a franchise QB.
1: Now, Miles, if you had told me at any point before the evening hours of Tuesday, March 16, the Broncos would be trading for a quarterback the day before the draft, I would have placed money on the possibility that that quarterback is Deshaun Watson. Watson's name continues to hover over this draft for one very important reason. Things have gotten very quiet in a litigation 22 individuals, all suing Deshaun Watson. It was news, 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 public pressure, battle of the lawyers, Instagram, press conferences, press releases, back and forth. They were in court on Friday for a status conference, allegations of destruction of evidence. Something happened after they walked out of that courtroom on Friday. Can't prove it, don't know it. This is just circumstantial evidence as far as I'm concerned based on 18 years of practicing law and understanding how leverage works. And the leverage for a maximum settlement of these cases against Deshaun Watson dictates getting it done now, getting it done before the draft, before the end of the draft, before rosters are fully baked in for the 2021 offseason program training camp preseason. And I think, don't know, but I think that the lawyers are trying to resolve these cases. And, And just be ready. Be ready for the double lightning strike. Boom, 22 cases resolved. Pow! Deshaun Watson traded somewhere between now and Sunday, Miles. You can't rule it out. And unless and until the lawyers start squabbling publicly again, which would mean it all fell apart or they're making one last run at pressuring the other side to agree to their terms, it feels like something may happen. It's the proverbial calm before the storm. And I won't be surprised if it happens.
0: Well, so, Mike, I think the biggest thing there is that what you're talking about with the lawyers, right? If these guys are really saying that there's something that can be resolved here, then that's probably what's going to happen because they're not saying anything publicly anymore. And I feel like every time you and I would be doing a show, there would be something to say about Deshaun Watson pretty much every single day. And since it's been, you know, this whole week, you know, it just really has not been anything that's been coming out from either camp. And from that standpoint, it just seems like you're definitely right. These things are quiet now because they're starting to resolve every single issue. So I think it certainly would be interesting if these things do get resolved, if these cases actually really call them things, get resolved you know, before or during the draft so that it allows the Texans to have some sort of time to get Deshaun Watson off of their roster and other team to say, all right, this is what we are willing to trade for Deshaun Watson. Because at that point, you still have more value than you might otherwise when it comes to Deshaun Watson. I mean, I don't know what his value is, at this point now, especially because he still could be facing a suspension um, from the league after everything that has happened here. So I, I'm not sure what the value would be. I'm not sure, you know, it, how teams would really gauge their interest in what in, in trading for Deshaun Watson. But yeah, it if this starts to get resolved, if the cases do start to get resolved, then it would not surprise me either to then see Deshaun Watson moved because at the end of the day, He's still the kind of quarterback that teams are going to want on their team because he is clearly a very, very productive player. And he's played at an elite level before, and there's no reason to think that he can't get back there again.
1: I'll see your could be suspended and raise you will be suspended. I can't imagine the NFL walking through this minefield without resolving the situation by an unpaid suspension of Deshaun Watson. The Ben Roethlisberger precedent from 11 years ago would apply here. And at one point, I actually found excerpts of the letter that the commissioner sent Roethlisberger and some of the same concepts, some of the same reasoning would apply to Watson, even if there's an agreement as part of the settlement that he admits to no wrongdoing. And let's say allegations of forced activities are retracted by the handful of persons who have claimed that, even with all that, the pattern of behavior, the NFL, I think, will say requires intervention. And if Ben Roethlisberger got suspended six games, reduced to four as a result of two incidents, one, a civil lawsuit, one, a potential prosecution, potential lawsuit that I think was privately and confidentially settled. If that happens for two for him and you have 22 for Deshaun Watson, I don't think he comes out of it unscathed. But, but, if you trade for him, you go into it knowing, okay, we may be looking at four games, six games, eight games maximum. We're still trading for the guy. We're still making the move because this solves our issue. And, and the other side of it, Miles, to the extent that there's compensation in 2022 draft picks that would be part of this, you could very easily pick, at least for one of the selections, a, a scale based upon what his suspension is. If he's suspended more than six games, it's an extra fourth-round pick. If he's suspended four games, it's an extra third-round pick. If it's fewer than four games, it's an extra second-round pick, something like that. You can do whatever you want to do from a creativity standpoint. And I, I I think that he will get suspended, but that won't stop a team from making the trade. If the lawsuits are gone and the book is closed on any potential criminal investigation, I think that's going to be enough to get someone to pull the trigger on a trade.
0: Yeah, because when you're thinking about a quarterback, you're not just doing that for 2021 or 2022. You're doing it ostensibly to set yourself up at QB through 2030, because that is the kind of player that you think Deshaun Watson can be. I think it's the kind of player that pretty much all of us seem to think that Deshaun Watson could be. Um, based on the things that he's done in the league so far. So this is not just something that teams would do for now. It's for the future as well. So I I think that's why it sets up for a team to say, yes, we're willing to take that hit that whatever it might be um, from a terms of PR standpoint, you know, from a suspension standpoint in 2021, because for the rest of the decade, and maybe even into the 2030s, we are set up at quarterback and we are set up to go after winning a championship.
1: John McClandy Houston Chronicle recently reported that eight teams were interested before the legal issues arose: Dolphins, Jets, Patriots, Broncos, Washington, Chicago, Carolina, San Francisco. Now, of those, only Miami has not yet addressed its quarterback needs. Every other team has made a move. The Patriots re-signing. Cam Newton, the Jets, they're going to take Zach Wilson at number two. Broncos now have Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think that would stop them from trading for Deshaun Watson. Washington has Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't know that that would stop them from trading for Deshaun Watson. Bears with Andy Dalton, same. Panthers, Sam Darnold, same. I think the only ones that fall out are the 49ers who moved up to number three and the Jets who hold the second overall pick. Those are the ones who fall out. Miami is the, I think, leader. And the other team... Wasn't reported by John McClain Miles that I think we need to keep an eye on is the Philadelphia Eagles. I've been told for weeks that if and when Watson is in play, they will be inclined to try to buy low, get a franchise quarterback, and not be troubled by how the off field issues could impact fan reaction, whatever. Look, they're the team that brought Mike Vick back to the NFL. They're not going to hesitate to give Deshaun Watson his next chance, especially because they're just desperate to get a franchise quarterback.
0: For sure. Look, I think we've already seen that uh, what they think of Jalen Hurts is, at least for now, he's got to be in competition at QB in order to maybe secure a role. And who knows if he's going to be in competition with Joe Flacco or if they're going to pick up somebody else um, in this upcoming draft tomorrow night or over the course of the next few days. So, I think that certainly the Eagles could be in play. It seems to make sense. Look, any team that really does not have a franchise quarterback already could still be in play, right? I mean, whether we're talking about the, the Patriots there, whether we're talking about Miami, who ostensibly has one with Tua Tagovailoa, those, those quarterbacks are all probably not as good right now as Deshaun Watson is. So I think from that standpoint, it would make sense if teams are going to inquire about Deshaun Watson and you say, look, I have this price for him. And this is what I am willing to give up in order to get someone like Deshaun Watson based on everything and all of the circumstances that have gone on over the last couple of months. So there's a lot to this, but I'd certainly think that, you know, when you're thinking about the Eagles specifically, that would be very, very interesting if you go from somebody like Carson Wentz to then Deshaun Watson as your franchise quarterback.
1: Uh, let's shift now to San Francisco, where the 49ers will pick somebody tomorrow night when they are the third team on the clock. They reportedly have made a decision as to what they're going to do. My reaction to that, Miles, I should hope so. When you <laughs> give up the equivalent of three first-round picks and a third-round pick, I'm telling you, they, they have bungled this. I got a ton of respect for Kyle Shanahan. I just think that they have allowed themselves to to paint themselves as indecisive and wishy-washy, and it's raising the stakes because whoever they don't take is going to enter the league with other teams, and if they get unlucky and take the Mitch Trubisky of a class that includes Trubisky, Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson, that's the kind of thing that can grease the skids toward being on the hot seat and or out of a job before too long. So this is an all-in move, and I think the indecisiveness, the appearance of it, is problematic. Well, be that I, as I mean, it may. I, Go ahead. It,
0: I mean, it can be. I. I don't know. I don't know that. Like because they you know I don't
1: right. really think that they they're... better get it right.
0: Yes, that's, of course. That's but they all better I'm get it right anyway. You can't trade up to number three overall and get it wrong and still keep your job unless your name is Ryan Pace. I I mean, like, usually that's the kind of stuff that makes GMs get fired,
1: right? You know, so I don't know. I don't know
0: why we all seem to think that, like, this is something that they can just get wrong and then they'll be fine. Maybe they will be. I don't know. But I don't know. We've all sort of thought probably that they had a clear choice in mind when they decided to trade up to number three overall. I don't think you do that without having a clear choice in mind. Look, this isn't draft day. Right? You're not Sonny Weaver Jr. trying to get on the phone on the, you know, in the beginning of the day and trying to make something happen. That's not the way this thing works.
1: I think the difference here is, and we could spend the whole show on this because I'm fascinated by it. But because they were at twelve, it's not like they could have stayed where they were and had Trey Lance or Justin Fields, unless one of them precipitously falls, which is possible. Plenty of people think all five guys are going in the top ten. We'll see. The the difference though, but, but there is a similarity, but the difference is the Bears just could have stayed where they were and taken Mahomes or Watts, and they traded up stuff to take the guy who was the lemon of the three. My point is this by making it so obvious you've seriously entertained all three, you, you just you you are begging for apples to apples comparisons between whoever you pick and the other two. And you better hope the guy you pick is is the guy and it also increases pressure and this leads to the report from jason lock and of cbs that the 49ers are now expected and to quote accurately what lock and Fora reported there's a very strong expectation that the 49ers will try to trade jimmy garoppolo before or during the draft miles i'm a believer they gotta get rid of him i'm a believer they can't let him start week one if their big biggest beef with him is that he can't stay healthy You can't put him on the field and run the risk that he stays healthy, that the team is really good around him, that they go 13-3, and that they end up at or close to the Super Bowl. Then what the hell do you do with the three first-round picks and the third-round pick that you gave up to get a guy who's holding a clipboard for all of 2021 and maybe 2022? What do you do then? I think that, and this is part of the requirement to be decisive, you got to be decisive about who you're taking, And you got to be decisive about what you're doing with the guy you have. And I understand there's smoke and there's noise and there's there's posturing. I don't think they can afford to have Jimmy Garoppolo walk into the locker room first day of training camp. And they definitely can't afford to have him on the field week one. Unless they're certain he's going to get injured again. And maybe that's a safe bet. But I think they have to trade him. And to trade him... He has to agree to take less than $25 million, and maybe, just maybe, even though that money's not guaranteed, maybe the 49ers have to kick in a little bit of it to make it happen.
0: Uh, they might. I mean, that, that's a good point there. I mean, he certainly probably would have to—you can't say certainly probably—he probably would have to, you know, make sure that he is going to a place that he wants to go to if he's going to take less money, right? I, I just— that would be probably something that they would want to do anyway, just to kind of do right by Jimmy Garoppolo if they want to do that, I guess. But look, I think that we've been saying this for weeks too. Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be on that roster come week one, right? Because you did not trade up everything that you gave up uh, to get to number three overall to have that guy sit on the bench. You just didn't do it. And so. But he's our you know, guy. Though, he's our
1: guy. Oh, no, no, Miles, he's our guy. Remember, they put that out and there are all these reporters yes, who just believe it. 100% and I that same he's our guy. Day,
0: Yeah! that same day you and I were on this show saying, no, he's not because you own $25 million in non-guaranteed salary. So like, this is not, I don't know if people view or listen to this show, then they're probably not surprised when you and I start saying, yeah, they're going to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. They've been going to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. It, just, it happened. They made that decision already. And so no matter what anybody says, George Kill can go on whatever show he wants to and like, say like, Jimmy's still our guy. Like, no, he's not man. No, he's not. And he hasn't been and that's okay so I don't know it's just they're gonna do what they're gonna do with Jimmy Garoppolo and I think you know it became more clear probably to everybody else what we've been saying for weeks once Kyle Shanahan's like man I can't guarantee anybody's even gonna be alive on Sunday like what is that man I don't know if that's better or worse than what the Rams started saying about Jared Goff you know he's our quarterback right now he's our quarterback at this moment Uh, he's gonna be alive on Sunday I don't know man we're another Friday closer yeah. to death, except it's Wednesday. I
1: I, I just I just uh, part of me fears based upon the way they've entertained this mystery with what they're doing at number three, that that they think they're going to be able to thread the needle and find the right balance, have their cake and eat it, too. Uh, the problem is they may drop it on the floor at LaGuardia and then end up trying to eat <laughs> it because this Garoppolo thing can blow up in uh, in their faces very quickly. One last point, and then we got to take a break because we've got Tutu Atwell coming up. There was a report from Jeff Howe of The Athletic that the Patriots are indeed targeting Justin Fields. And they reached out to the Falcons about the number four overall pick in the draft. And our mock draft has Justin Fields going to the 49ers. And when you hear that Bill Belichick wants Justin Fields, that's either a Jedi mind trick on Kyle Shanahan or or we need to take seriously, despite the reports that it's down to Trey Lance and Mac Jones for the 49ers, we have to take seriously the possibility that they they could take Justin Fields. Until they put that name in, we don't know who they're taking. And if the Patriots are hot on Justin Fields, if I'm Kyle Shanahan, that's enough to get me to at least go back and look at some film one last time before I put a name on that card, Miles.
0: You have to be definitive in what you're doing. Kyle Shanahan said this the other day, right? You have to know exactly what you're doing, even if it's Bill Belichick, okay? And I know Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of all time. But if you have convictions and you think you know QBs and you think you know which one you want, you have to stick with it. You surrender the results to the process. It's something that General Manager Les Snead says all the time about drafts and things like that. If your process has led you to Mac Jones, you surrender the results to the process because I mean, you keep saying, "Oh, we're going to talk about them and this and that," and you know, they're always going to these guys are going to be inextricably linked at QBs. We're doing that anyway with Miami. Right, Miami didn't trade up for anybody last year, but we're all still saying that they should have they should have taken Justin Herbert instead of Tua Tagovailoa. So you got to just go with your convictions, do what you've done, you know that has led you to this process and led you to the result, and you got to just stick with it because at least if you go down that way, you're going down your way. You're not letting anybody else influence and affect your process.
1: Miles, uh, you've you've made me think of something. And I, I may be misremembering. No, I, I like this. This is why I think the 49ers have voluntarily stepped onto a high wire without a net. I don't recall any chatter, reports, or rumors. And and it's possible I'm misremembering. It's possible. I don't recall the Dolphins being torn about Tua or Justin Herbert. And and oh, no. if, there, if there was a full week of... Hey, the Dolphins have tried to trade up to get Joe Burrow. The Bengals have told him to to pound sand or salt, whichever one it is. I think it can be both. And they're torn. They're divided. They have a schism in the front office between whether they should take Tua or Justin Herbert. If that was out there, and I don't think it was, that makes it more glaring that they didn't take Justin Herbert. Now, it's less glaring because you can say they never really considered Justin Herbert. It wasn't close. So they shouldn't be regretful and people shouldn't be saying, I told you so because they weren't hearing it in the first place. That 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 kind of underscores my point here that I was originally making. When you allow this to become, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Could be Jones, could be Lance, could be Fields. Whichever guy you take, you better hope you get the right one because it's more glaring that you considered the others, if that makes any sense at all.
0: Yeah, it does. It does make sense. But I think... At the same time, you also should question Miami's process that made you say, what is it that led you to Tua instead of Justin Herbert? And or why is it that Tua wasn't able to get to that kind of level in year one? Now, you could say it had to do with COVID. It had to do with all kinds of different other things. But look, if Justin Herbert performed that well and he went after you, after the guy you picked, I should say, then what was it about your process that may have made you pick wrong? And I think that that is still something that we can question Miami for. And frankly, it's why we're still talking about Miami being in the conversation for Deshaun Watson, because if they had picked Justin Herbert, then I don't think that that is something that we will be talking about today.
1: We're going to take a break. When we return, we started the program talking about Teddy Bridgewater, his protege, Shatarius Tutu Atwell, Louisville receiver joining us when this Wednesday edition of PFTPM continues right
2: after this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.
0: Do you want a beautiful lawn?
1: One day away from the 2021 draft, one of the players who will hear his name called at some point during the process, former Louisville receiver Tutu Atwell, joining the program. Good afternoon, Tutu. How are you, pal? Good afternoon. How you doing? I'm great. Hey, we're doing great, and it's great to talk to you. Teddy Bridgewater, your mentor, traded today to the Denver Broncos. What was your
4: reaction to the news? Uh, It was a good fit for him. I'm happy for him. I called him. Well, we had we had talks, but we wasn't talking about that. But um, last week or a couple of weeks ago, we were just working out together. We were just talking about everything. So that's a nice fit for him. I'm happy for him.
0: I know that, you know, Tutu, you're not going to say you want a uh, team to specifically draft you because you could go to any one of these 32 teams. But if it just so happens that you end up in Denver, how special would
4: that be? Oh, it would be awesome, man. Just we already got that. I feel like we got that 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 brother bond. Uh, we always work out with each other, and he, he always throw to me and get the. We got a great timing. I feel like
1: to to walk us through the decision making process that resulted in you changing from quarterback to receiver at Louisville.
4: It wasn't really that. It wasn't. I want to say it was that much hard for me. Um, I just had to work on my stands. I had a bad stands when I first got to Louisville. And other than that, when I got that down pat, it was just just ready to take off.
0: Why, why is it that you feel like you were able to be so successful in that? I mean, you obviously are a great athlete, but there's more to it than, you know, when you're trying to be a receiver and catching the ball. Say that again. You're, you're a great athlete, but why is it that you feel like you were able to be so successful in the transition to, to becoming a wide receiver?
4: Uh just putting in a lot of work. Um, I had I had set some goals for myself, so I I always try to accomplish my goals and I feel like that would make me better day by day.
1: What's the the uh the best thing you learned from your dad, who was a great receiver at the University of Minnesota, that helped you become a receiver and make that transition?
4: Um, we have we had lots of long talks since my freshman year. I knew I was gonna have to I know I was going to have to make uh, the adjustment to um, to receiver, and we just had a lot of talk. After every game, he just sent me little, little notes on what I have to do and what I need to do for the next half, and, and, and that, that, that helps a lot.
0: Is there one piece of advice that you feel like sticks with you more than anything else when it comes to like being a wide receiver that your dad has given you?
4: Uh, just, just be myself. Um, always be yourself. I like never try to outdo what, never try to out not outdo what you can do. Um, just basically play your game and focus. All right,
1: this is an important question, to to arguably the most important question you're going to get before the draft. Okay. Yes. Are you going to wear number one? Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now, yes. Let me tell so. you. Miles, Miles, Miles is, is opposed. Miles is opposed to single digits for receivers and he's definitely opposed to number one. So I hope to, to, you end up with a team that doesn't have someone wearing number one and you get to wear the Jersey that you wore
4: at Louisville. Yes, sir. I hope so too.
0: Well, see, I think that would be good for you because, look, you haven't been in the league yet. You're coming in. You're going to be starting to get yourself established. So if you want to be number one, I think that that actually would be just fine for you because you're a part of this first class that's really going to be able to do it. So, look, I'm all in favor of you wearing number one. Now, where did that number come from? Did you just want it? Was it just available? Why did you Why did you wear it in college?
4: Uh, I was always number five. That was five my favorite number. I had it since I was little. Uh I got to um Louisville and they only had one, seven, ten, and some other couple of numbers open and I just dealt with number one. I said, I'll just take number one. And plus my dad had number one in college, so I just ran with it.
1: Oh, that's great. It's great it has that extra meaning. Let's go back to Teddy Bridgewater. How did the relationship with Teddy get started?
4: Um, Teddy used to come work out with us uh when I was in high school as a freshman. He used to work out with us. Back and he used to um, throw to us. he Used to do seven on seven with us. He used to lift weights with us when I was a freshman in high school, and we pretty much got that bond and stayed close to each other. And he took me under his wing.
0: It seems like that's just kind of the kind of person that Teddy Bridgewater is. I mean, what do you think makes him so special and so unique, just as a human, more than even as a player?
4: Oh, uh, he just care for. He, he give back to his community, and he just care for everybody. He put, I feel like he put everybody before himself, and that would make him so special and so great.
1: Where are you gonna be during the draft, Tutu? While you're waiting for the phone
4: to ring, I'm gonna be home down in Miami. Anybody, Who anybody be
0: there? special that you're gonna have with you?
4: Uh, just family and friends. Sounds
0: like it's gonna Tutu. be a good time.
1: There's yeah. been a lot of talk this week or two about Devontae Smith, 510, 166. I see you listed 5'9, 165. Where where do you stand on this this concern that comes up that some of these receivers may not be big enough for the NFL? What's your response when someone says, ah, you may be a little short, you may be a little too light to make it at the next level?
4: All I'm just gonna say is, man, like the film doesn't lie, man. The honest guy don't lie. I mean, you have a lot of ludicrous receivers and we we, do, we pretty much show what we can do. I mean side doesn't mean anything. It's it's, it's 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 who got the most heart.
0: Well, I did see that you posted on Twitter today, a video of you stepping on the scale. Now why was it important for you to do that?
4: Man, cause, I mean I had I had a um little um at Indy it was a, I was I was wearing like one forty nine and I got I feel like the media took it and ran with it. I mean, so I feel like it was on my part to make sure and let everybody know that. That was just that that at that time. I'm I'm eating now and I'm at 160 right now and I'm feeling good and I'm just ready for my name to be called.
1: How do you strike the balance between the potential concern that if you add weight, it can take away some of your speed? But some guys can add weight and they actually find themselves getting a little faster. How do you... Work that out, and and are you concerned that if you put on too much, it may take away some of your explosiveness?
4: I mean, I haven't, I never been over one sixty one. My, my highest was the one sixty one I ever weighed. Um, when I came in, I was when I came in a fresh, my freshman year of college, I was one forty. Uh, I, I put on a nice amount of pounds throughout the years I've been at Louisville. So, I mean, at being at one sixty one, it, it, it I I feel great. So, I mean, it really doesn't matter to me.
0: So it sounds like you feel like if you add more weight, fine. But if you don't, then this is who you are. And you know what? You've already shown that you really can go out there and you can play at the high level that you expect to. Is that right? Yes, sir.
1: Well, Tutu, we appreciate some of your time. It's a great story, and we love that bond with Teddy Bridgewater. He's one of my favorites. So if uh, if – if you're friends with Teddy, you're friends with us, and we wish you all the best. Uh-huh. And maybe the dominoes fall in a way that you end up playing with Teddy at the NFL level, either in Denver or somewhere else. So all the best to you this week and uh, beyond. We look forward to talking to you once you know which team you're going to be playing
4: for. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: All right. Thanks for some of your time. There he is, 2-2 Atwell. We're going to take a break. Seahawks talking about Russell Wilson today at a press conference with John Schneider and Pete Carroll. What did they say? What does it mean? We'll be right back.
2: So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.
1: At one point this offseason, the destination of Russell Wilson was one of the biggest stories in the NFL. Then it all died down. There's still a lingering sense that things could explode at some point. So today, pre-draft press conference from Coach Pete Carroll, General Manager John Schneider. One of the unavoidable topics, Miles, was Russell Wilson. Uh, we will be hearing from them momentarily. But I, look, I, I still am not ready to close the book on the possibility of a trade it doesn't happen it doesn't happen it doesn't happen and then it happens so what's going to happen now here's what john schneider and pete carroll had to say earlier today about russell wilson
4: you know there was a number of teams that called after that media blitz that, that happened right uh but you know i never actively negotiated with anybody um and with any team now did people call absolutely and um but yeah, I'm not going to get into specific teams, but uh, yeah, there was never, ever, there was never, ever a, a, a conversation, you know, people think that trade talks happen, you know, like, hey, you just start negotiating right away. There's a lot of calls that are very, very periphery calls.
5: Russ has been our quarterback for a good while, and we've got a long contract with him. And when all of the conversation went about trades and all that, I knew what the truth was were <laughs> trade trading Russell. And so, uh, um, you know, that's... So, we plan on him being here for a good good while i don 't know how many years it is now, but we 're in great shape and, and a long future uh, ahead of us is shared. Russ knows that, and I know that and we 're very clear about it 's why it was really obvious that, that we just had to sit back and let the you know the kind of the media take its course with with the topic and, and uh, so we did and so we 're in good shape and, and uh, both very clear about that.
1: I think the Packers got more for their money from the consultant that told them to say Aaron Rodgers is going to be the quarterback for the foreseeable future than the Seahawks got for their money, whoever they paid, to tell them, just use the term a good while. I don't know what a good while is. And when you listen to the full context of the quote from Pete Carroll-Miles, he ties it to the contract. He's in a contract for a long time. No, no, he's not. He's in a contract for three years. And what his agent, Mark Rodgers, always does is when there's one year left, on the deal that's when he brings it to a head. So they got 2 years maximum before this thing's coming to a head. It's not a t- it's not a long time. It's going to go like that. So pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Russell Wilson could be entering his last year with the Seattle Seahawks and I'm not ready to say a post June 1 trade is an impossibility cuz you don't expect them to come out and create the expectation they are going to trade And Once you give legitimacy to the possibility, you set forces in motion that you can't control. That's why they have to say what they said today, regardless of whether or not there's a chance he gets traded, Miles.
0: Right, exactly. Look, I think that if you're John Snyder or if you're Pete Carroll, you have to at least give off the appearance that you feel confident that Russell Wilson is going to be a part of your team for a long time. You're trying to make sure that you tamp down on any rumors or whatever that can start to come out. But look, you know, I think when Pete Carroll said something about how you know it looked like there was an issue there, but there wasn't really one there. Yes, there was. When your agent comes out and the, the player's agent comes out and he says four teams that the player would be willing to be traded to, that signals that there is some type of issue there. So you can't tell me that there's nothing really going on when there was pretty clearly something going on there. And that's why John Schneider doesn't really have to tell us which team's called. We know which team's called. The agent told us which team should call. So if those guys didn't pick up the phone, then it probably would have been some type of malpractice. So I I don't know what's going to happen with Russell Wilson, but I do think you're right. There's probably a maximum of two years that they've got before this comes to a head again.
1: Yeah, two years at the most. I think one year as a practical matter, and I kind of like that. Too much already happened this offseason from the standpoint of quarterback movement. We need to budget some. We need to hold some to next year. Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, more than enough for 2022, and those will be two of the dominant names when we get to the 2022 offseason. The Seahawks don't have a first-round pick this year because they sent not one but two to the jets to get jamal adams who was i think the fifth overall pick in 2017 here's carol and schneider talking about the guy who is their de facto first round pick in 2021
4: we're getting ready for our 12th draft this coming weekend we have an amazing number of draft choices uh three and uh you know we're um the guys have been busting their tail.
5: About the draft, uh, you know, our number one pick is, is, is Jamal oh. Adams. You know, that's a heck of a pick. He had a really good year leading into his, his getting drafted by us number one, and it would have cost us another uh, another uh, number one to get that done, that incredible of a football player as we saw last year, and we're thrilled about the future with him.
1: And look, that's a fair explanation, but it overlooks one thing. When you give up two first-round picks to acquire a guy who doesn't come through the door with a new contract, you give him all the leverage in those negotiations. Here he is, entering the final year of his rookie deal, the option year. What are you going to do next year? You're going to franchise tag him? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do to justify the draft picks you gave up to get him. He could be off the team next year and they don't have a first round pick for him. They could tag and trade him and try to get that first round pick back plus more. But that's the bottom line. That's why I never liked it when the Cowboys kind of flippantly said a couple of years ago, Oh, well, our first round pick's Amari Cooper. That's when we're on the clock. We're gonna go watch Amari Cooper film. But the problem is they got him in the fourth year of his rookie contract. They had the bloated fifth-year option they had to pay far more than what their slot would have paid out on a four-year deal, and then they had to sign him before he became a free agent, $20 million a year. So the beauty of using that first-round pick is you get a guy at a very cheap salary. The problem is it's a scratch-off lottery ticket. Maybe he's a winner, maybe he's not. They got a winner, but they're paying him potentially a lot more than they would have because they didn't insist on a new deal coming through the door. I don't like it. When the Texans did it with Larry Mutunsel, I didn't like it when the Rams did it with Jalen Ramsey. I didn't like it when the Seahawks did it with Jamal Adams. I don't get it, Miles. I don't get it. I would want those deals done as part of the trade so I don't have the player realizing I got all the power because they've already given up a King's ransom to get me. Now I just got to sit back and wait for the payday.
0: Well, I was going to say that this, you know, reminded me of the Rams for a couple of reasons. You just brought up one of them with Jalen Ramsey, right? The Rams gave up a couple of first round picks in order to get him. And like you said, he did not come through the door with a new contract. So yeah, they had to pay him. But you know what the Rams always say about these kinds of deals is, you know, we're giving up first rounders. Yes, but we're doing it for guys who we know are going to be players that probably may be better than what we would have gotten at that selection. Anyway, you know, if you're talking about Jalen Ramsey, that's a top five pick, right? That's not somebody that the Rams are in position to really ever acquire because they're not ever picking up in number five overall. Frankly, they're not picking in the first round at all because they like to trade all their first round picks. And basically they're gone almost through the entire Biden administration. So like the, the, the Seattle Seahawks, are in a similar situation. They're a team that contends every single year. So if you're talking about Jamal Adams, you're probably never going to be able to get a quality player of his caliber unless you go out and trade for him. So in saying, you know, that's what we think of as our first round pick, I get it. It also reminds me of the Rams because that's what they said Back in 2018, when they traded for Brandon Cooks, another player who didn't have a new deal, and then they ended up signing him to a new deal, and then they ended up trading him to the Texans because that deal was just too bloated for them. But I was sitting in that draft room that year, and that's what they did when the Patriots came on the clock at number 23 overall. They turned on the Brandon Cooks highlights, and everybody was happy because, look, that was their first-round pick. So I see it from both sides of what it is. You know, from a team standpoint, that, yeah, we're not going to get a caliber of player like that unless we go out and use our ones to trade for him. But at the same time, have to be able to say, like, look, we need to sign this guy, and you probably want to do it before he gets in the building.
1: And I-, I will say this, in some defense of the teams that trade their first-round picks, one or more than one, in the case of Ramsey, in the case of Adams, in the case of Tunsell, although Kenny Stills was part of that package too – you're getting a known entity. And, yes. And every time you use that first-round pick, every first-round pick that is exercised tomorrow night is the equivalent of trading a first-round pick for a player. That's what you have to think of it as. The first time I ever had that dawn on me was when the Vikings traded for Jared Allen in 2008, I believe it was. They they got him for a one and a three from Kansas City. And someone with the team explained it to me at the time. Here's how we view it. Our first-round pick is Jared Allen, and we're investing an extra third-round pick to ensure that our first-round pick ends up not being a bust. And you know what? I think there are teams out there that if you could throw in an extra pick later in the draft to guarantee that you're getting a great player, they do it. Because the one thing you're not going to hear in many places between now and the end of the draft is that half of these guys ain't going to work out, and the picks right. will have been wasted. And, yeah, if you can make those a certainty, maybe you're ahead of the game, Miles.
0: Well, right. but And, look, what we know is that probably half of these picks, if not more than half of these picks, are not going to work out, even if it's just tomorrow night, and we're talking about that first round. So many first-rounders don't end up making it to probably the status that we all think that they should be, As first rounders, you could look at the last couple of drafts. I think of Cleon Farrell, a guy who went fourth overall, that's not the kind of production through two years that you would expect from somebody who gets drafted at four overall as a defensive end. So look, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into this. And I think that it makes sense for teams, like you just said, to guarantee themselves that they are going to get a productive player and somebody who's not going to be a bust out of that first round pick a lot of the time.
1: Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFTPM right after this. The oh,
4: first round selection,
1: Lawrence Taylor, oh. live That's Pete Rozelle 40 years ago today announcing that the New York Giants had selected Lawrence Taylor out of North Carolina. Amazing what the TV production looked like then and how it's changed so dramatically over the past 40 years. And Lawrence Taylor, one of the great defensive players of all time. Uh, Wow. I see him and I see Thysman. I'm saying, please, I hope this highlight package (laughs) does not include that one play. I'm told that that will not be part of this package. So thank you very much for that. But Lawrence Taylor, special, special player, number 56. You think of 56, you think of Lawrence Taylor, Miles.
0: It's so funny. That is the thing that I thought of as soon as I saw the uh, Washington football team that wasn't named that back then footage. Uh, That is exactly what I thought. Oh, no. Are we going to see Joe Thysman here? Oh, no. (laughs)
1: Question from New York Nick. The Giants haven't drafted a linebacker since Carl Banks in 1984. I assume they mean in round one. If Devontae Smith isn't there at number 11, should they go with Penn State's Micah Parsons? Hashtag we are. I think the Lions are going to take Micah Parsons because kneecap biter, linebacker, Chris Spielman. How can they say no to Micah Parsons? Devontae Smith is the player that we have projected at the PFT mock draft for the Giants at 11. Miles, what do you think about Michael Parsons possibly being a giant?
0: Well, I I don't know. I mean, I think he could go there if he's still on the board, but I think that you might be right about the true alphas there in Detroit. You know, I think they know when it's time to concede, but it probably won't be time to concede if Parsons is still on the board at number seven overall. It seems like he would make a lot of sense for that defense as they try to rebuild it and get better there in Detroit.
1: I on Foz seventy nine. If the Dolphins do trade down, where do you suspect they might end up? I, I, I just feel like the Dolphins are committed. I think they're addicted to trading down and stockpiling picks. Look at what happened with the Houston selections. You know, target a team that you think may have the wheels come off, and the next thing you know, you got another high first round pick next year. So, I I wouldn't be surprised if they trade down past the top half of the round miles and they already have a pick in the second half of the round but it would not surprise me if they if they cut on six and and drop that pick off of this screen that shows the first half of round one
0: Well, I'm looking at what we've got up there, and the one team that kind of stands out to me is the Chargers at number 13 because we know that they need a left tackle. So we also sort of assume maybe that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to draft one at five overall, whether it's Sewell, whether it's Slater. I mean, we also now know that they could draft Kyle Pitts if he's still on the board. Jamar Chase seems to be in the conversation there as well. So look, I think if Miami really wants to trade down again, then what the Chargers could do is say, look, if Cincinnati doesn't take the tackle that we want, we probably should just go up there and get them. You know, if Sewell's still there, let's connect them with Joe Burrow. Excuse me, Justin Herbert again. I got Cincinnati on the brain. And then we'll be just fine probably for the next 10 years at QB and left tackle.
1: Here's an important question from Patty McGeady. If your mock draft goes a perfect 32 for 32, will you release the name of who did it? I won't and I can't, but I will say this, and I've been thinking about this ever since I noticed this question. I thought about making some ridiculous vow, like like I would walk naked to Pittsburgh or something like that if the mock draft goes thirty for 32 for He's 32, gone. but then it will. I, I Patty McGee, I'll write a check. No, I, a very large check. I'm not going to say the amount. If it goes 32 for 32, we'll get in touch with McGeady and we'll write a big check to the charity of his or her choice. That's it. See you tomorrow.